Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of Snippets. I'm Meenakshi Mahesh, your host for this episode. Today, we have Dr. Mahesh Shanmugam, a renowned vitreoretinal surgeon with us. He holds an FRCS from Edinburgh and a PhD from MGR University Chennai. With multiple publications and textbook chapters to his credit, some of his awards include the Colonel Rangachari Award for Best Research Paper by All India Ophthalmological Society and Dr. P. Shivaredi Oration Medal by Andhra Pradesh Ophthalmic Society. He is a passionate teacher and has a keen interest in innovating cost-effective diagnostic and screening tools such as video camera-aided fundus imaging and the usage of smartphones for screening in retinal pathologies. He currently heads the Vitro Retinal and Ocular Oncology Services, Shankara Eye Hospitals. We are glad to have you with us, sir. Over to you. Hello, friends. Thank you for listening to this edition of Snippets, which is on the 12 rings of blunt trauma. In this episode, let us see how blunt trauma affects the eye. When the eye is hit with a blunt object, there is equatorial expansion of the eye. This causes the weaker structures to give way. In addition, the sudden movement of fluids within the eye, for instance, the aqueous being pushed through the pupil and angles with sudden force, can cause disruption of intraocular structures. We are all familiar with the seven rings of tissues that can be affected by blunt injury. Let us look at them first and then add on a few more. This will prompt us to examine the eye that has sustained blunt injury more carefully so that we can identify lesions that need immediate attention with the ultimate goal of maximizing visual recovery in these eyes. Let's start with ring number one. The sphincter pupillae is the circumferential muscle responsible for pupillary constriction. Radial sphincter tears may occur at the pupillary margin and this can result in distortion of the pupil, diminished response to light. Sphincter tear will appear as a scalloped pupillary margin with this segment which is affected by trauma reacting poorly to light. This poorly reacting segment will lag in response to light resulting in a distorted pupil. Traumatic mitriasis may at times be associated with multiple sphincter tears in which case the mitriasis may not recover. Most patients tolerate the glare associated with the localized sphincter tear and the tinted spectacles is all that may be necessary to alleviate the symptoms. However, in patients with sustained traumatic mitriasis, one may look at options such as a clear pupil cosmetic contact lens, which cuts down the light entering the eye, can help the patient. A surgical pupiloplasty with a circular suture can also be used to make the pupil size smaller in symptomatic patients. Let's move on to ring number two. The iris root can get separated from the CDD body, resulting in iridodialysis. A significantly large iridodialysis will result in a D-shaped pupil with the vertical arm of the D pointing towards the site of iridodialysis. A small iridodialysis may not cause a D-shaped pupil and is best identified using a retroillumination of the slit lamp. One can see the red glow through the iridodialysis. A superior iridodialysis covered by the upper lid will not cause symptoms and can be observed. However, a large iridodialysis can be reattached to the sclera employing various suturing techniques described in literature. Moving on to ring number 3, the anterior ciliary body trauma is seen as angle recession. Angle recession is splitting of the circular fibers from the longitudinal fibers of the ciliary body. The longitudinal muscle is still attached to the ciliary body in contrast to cyclodialysis where both are separated from the ciliary body. On slit lamp examination, there would be posterior displacement of the iris root and widened ciliary body band 
posterior to the scleral spur on gonioscopy. There is no treatment or need for treatment of angle recession. Eyes with angle recession may develop glaucoma later on in life. Angle recession is however a surrogate indicator of trabecular meshwork damage due to trauma. The importance of angle recession is identifying the cause in a unilateral open angle glaucoma patient. Identifying the angle recession on gonioscopy will tell us that this patient is not yet another open angle glaucoma patient. Can we rest assured that the other eye is not going to be affected? Let us move on to ring number 4 which is cyclodialysis cleft. In contrast to angle recession which can be associated with glaucoma, a cyclodialysis cleft is associated with hypotony due to the aqueous draining out of the eye into the suprachoroidal space through the cyclodialysis cleft. Cyclodialysis is separation of the ciliary body from the scleral spur. This can be seen on gonioscopy as a localized abnormal area posterior to the scleral spur displacing the iris root and ciliary body posteriorly. It may look white when underlying sclera is seen through but may appear black or grey. Gonioscopy may be difficult in a soft eye and tools such as anti-segment optical coherence tomography or ultrasound biomicroscopy may aid in diagnosing the cleft. Alternately, we can inject viscoelastic into the anterior chamber with or without pilocarpin to visualize the cleft on gonioscopy. The hypotony causes visual symptoms. Blurred vision due to corneal folds, hypotony-associated maculopathy could be the cause for the symptoms. Macular folds, disc edema and corneal folds can be seen on clinical examination. Cyclodialysis clefts can close spontaneously over time and this can be aided by treating the patient with topical cycloplegics. Atropine sulfate 1% twice a day for 6 to 8 weeks is what is usually used. If it does not close within 3 months, other techniques to close the cleft may have to be employed. The other techniques available are laser photocoagulation to the cleft, the exposed sclera, ciliary body and the base of the iris are treated with laser in an attempt to create a sterile inflammatory response that will ultimately close the, close the cleft. You can deliver the laser using the transpropriatory approach employing a slit lamp or can be using the endolaser during a surgery and the transcleral delivery using the G-probe can also be used. The external and internal cryopexy has also been used to close the clefts. Surgical management in the form of suturing the ciliary body to the underlying sclera can be done to treat large clefts. An intraocular lens with a haptic placed at the cleft or a capsular tension ring can also be used to close the cleft. An anteriorly placed scleral buckle is also an option to treat the clefts. Ring number 5 is trabecular meshwork where there is a tear or a flap can occur at the point of rupture. Resultant glaucoma may need therapy. Let's move on to ring number 6. Ring number 6 is the ring of zonules holding up the lens. Depending on the degree of disruption, a partial subluxation or total dislocation of the lens can occur. A minimal subluxation of the lens can be taken care of by correcting the refractive error and there is no need for surgery. In cases where this is not possible or in cases of dislocation of the lens, surgical removal of the lens and alternate techniques of IOL fixation such as using an endocapsular ring, scleral fixation of the intraocular lens or iris supported lenses may have to be used. Ring number 7 is the ora serrata. Retinal dialysis is separation of the retina at the ora serrata that occurs commonly in the inferotemporal quadrant followed by the superior nasal quadrant in traumatic eyes. If we find only a retinal dialysis without retinal detachment, we can treat it with laser photocoagulation delivered through the laser indirect ophthalmoscope and less commonly with cryotherapy. 
Retinal dialysis with retinal detachment can most often be managed with a shallow, broad scleral buckle. Vitrectomy would only rarely be needed in a patient with retinal dialysis and retinal detachment. Ocular trauma often affects young patients who have a formed vitreous gel. And in patients with retinal dialysis, the posterior detachment is often not there. Hence, the RPE cells do not find access to the vitreous cavity or the preretinal space to cause PVR. So, seldom does one find PVR in patients with retinal dialysis associated retinal detachment. That completes the seven rings. Now, let us add to the list. We will start at the ring number seven, that is ora serrata. Ring number eight. Instead of retinal dialysis, only the vitreous base can get detached from the aura, what is called as vitreous base avulsion. This will appear like a bucket handle, a segment of the vitreous base separated from the aura lying in front of it. Vitreous base avulsion as such does not need any treatment. However, we need to look at the aura in the area of avulsion carefully to make sure that there is no associated small areas of retinal dialysis. Let us move back to the anterior segment for ring number 9. Limbus is ring number 9. Limbus is one of the places the globe gives way after blunt trauma and can be the site of globe rupture. Post blunt injury, we need to look for signs of occult globe rupture which can be obscured by subconjunctival hemorrhage and an intact conjunctiva. One should suspect occult globe rupture if there is extensive subconjunctival hemorrhage, deep anterior chamber, soft eye and extensive chemosis. Vision less than that of the other eye, presence of RAPD, should also make one suspicious of globe rupture. Let's move on to ring number 10. Ring number 10 is the ring of muscle insertion or spiral of Tillow. Sclera is thin at the insertion of the extraocular muscles and this is also a potential site for globe rupture. Hence, in such cases where the signs of occult globe rupture are there, an exploratory surgery should be done to look for a rupture at these sites and repair the same. String we will look at is the optic nerve, that is ring number 11. Optic nerve can get avulsed from its insertion to the globe, what we call as optic nerve avulsion. Optic nerve is disinserted from the retina, choroid and vitreous at the level of the lamina cubrosa without rupture of the nerve sheet or the adjacent sclera in optic nerve avulsion. Trauma causing anterior luxation of the globe, forced rotation of the globe around its axis or sudden explosive increase in IOP can blow the nerve off the sclera causing optic nerve avulsion. Optic nerve avulsion can be partial or total. If total, there is no light perception and partial avulsion results in variable degrees of vision loss. Signs of optic nerve avulsion are the vision loss, RAPD and clot at the site of the optic nerve. If the optic disc is not obscured by blood, one can see a cavity at the side of the optic disc in optic nerve avulsion. There can be an associated central or branch retinal artery occlusion or vascular changes such as tortuosity of retinal vessels, attenuation or occlusion. An ultrasound, CT or MRI can help in diagnosis if there is no view of the fundus because of vitreous hemorrhage or if there is a significant clot at the optic disc. Optic nerve avulsion cannot be treated. Some eyes with partial avulsion can regain some vision over time and a fibroglial pigmented scar can subsequently be seen at the site of avulsion. Ring number 12 is choroidal rupture. Circumferential rupture of the choroid, Brooks membrane and retinal pigment epithelium can be seen after blunt trauma. They appear as whitish or yellowish curvilinear segments which may be obscured by blood. Multiple choroidal ruptures can occur as well and they are circumferential to the optic disc. 
The inelastic Brooks membrane gives way when there is equatorial expansion of the globe in blunt trauma causing choroidal rupture. Choroidal rupture involving the fovea causes vision loss. Choroidal rupture does not need any treatment but we need to follow these eyes closely. Choroidal nevascularization can form through this choroidal rupture resulting in further vision loss and these eyes need to be treated with intravitreal anti-vegif agents. In fact, we can add two more rings, the pigmented impression ring that forms on the anterior lens capsule due to compression of the posterior pigmented iris epithelium of the pupillary rough against the lens capsule. This is called as the vaseous ring. Finding this ring should tell us that this eye has faced blunt injury in the past and a thorough examination of the eye should be done. Yet another ring is the V's ring of PVD. PVD occurs commonly post-injury and one needs to look for retinal breaks that can occur due to PVD. That completes the list of rings post-blunt trauma and hope you had a good time listening to this snippet. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you for putting all the signs of blunt trauma in a nutshell for us, sir. We're sure our listeners enjoyed it. That's it for this episode. Please fill our feedback form and subscribe to Snippets on various platforms. See you next week with another interesting episode. Thank you.